Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit LifePointPB.com. If you need a Bible, I see ushers with them in hand. If you would wave at them, that would be great. Um, they'll pass you a Bible so you can follow along. And if you'll turn over to 1 John chapter 4 and Hebrews chapter 10, those are two passages. There'll be a number of scripture I use this morning, but those two primary ones, 1 John 4, Hebrews chapter 10. While they're doing that, while they're passing that out, a couple things. Number one, on October, I believe it's the 14th. Am I correct on that date, Nina? October 14th? Uh, Love, Inc. will be here to give us kind of an overview. Actually, Christy, uh, who is the new director at Love, Inc., she'll be here. um, And I think it's 4.30 that afternoon. We're going to have a dessert out uh, out in the lobby. Um, You can bring a dessert with you, something to share. And she's just going to be giving kind of some new vision for Love, Inc., love in the name of Christ, what they do, how that ministry works. And a lot of times people come to me and they say, Pastor, I want to serve. I want to make a difference. In particular, I'd love to know, are there ways to serve even in our community that are outside of just serving here inside the four walls at LifePoint? And Love Inc. is one of those organizations that we partner with to be able to do that very thing. And they help us in finding um, those needs and help the body of Christ in Brevard County to find those needs to be able to minister to people in, in, in all kinds of ways. So if you want to learn more about that ministry, how it works, how we're partnering with them, things that are available, um, ministry opportunities that are available to you. On October 14th, just join us in the afternoon. Again, it's 4.30, I believe. Yes, October the 14th. In about two weeks, I'm going to ask you if you're planning on attending. You give me a show of hands if you had a little time to think about it so that we can kind of get a better idea of where to put that gathering. Um, but that'll be October 14th at 4.30 in the afternoon, and you can bring a dessert with you just to share with everyone. All right? Um, also... Uh, Anybody notice that it looked different up here this morning? Anybody notice that? Yes. Um, I just want to say from my part, Chris, just because you're balancing sound and everything, I heard voices better today than I normally hear. I don't know if it was just me because I have a different perspective right here on the front and I'm close to them, um, but I heard voices better than I normally do. Um, more voices than, than the instruments per se. Not that I don't, I don't mind hearing instruments, I just like voices. Um, and so um, that's my perspective, Chris, as, you're, as you guys are doing all that. The reason they're doing that, the first reason, is Malawi is going to be here in a couple of weeks, and we're trying to get ready for that, to have all those kids be part of our worship and what's going on. All right, so uh, if you notice that, that's the reason for the change, and who knows, it may stay that way, it may change again, probably will change, everything always changes. But anyway, um, that's, that's the reason for all that. Now, I've given you time, you should be in First John, right? We've just finished up a series on the names of God in the Old Testament. We didn't finish it because we could have gone on and on, but we, we, we concluded it. We've talked about who he is and what his character, his nature, what he looks like. And as we were going through it, the Lord really spoke to my heart and said, I want you to take, though, and go the next step. When we finish this, I want you to go the next step. Because we don't learn about who he is and his character just so we can say, oh, now we know we know what Jehovah means or Yahweh. We know what Elohim means or we know what Jehovah Sidkenu means or any of these names. That's information that's important. It's good to know. But we don't learn it just for that purpose. We know who he is. We relate to him as he is because when we do, he transforms us and transforms the way we relate to each other. See, that's his purpose and his plan. You're going to see that over the next several weeks. We're going to begin a new series today 
called the one another's. The one another's. There are actually 59 scripture in the New Testament that talk about one another. There are not 59 one another's, but there are 59 scripture. Because some of those, for example, the most common one another is love one another. It's used 19 times, either directly or indirectly in the New Testament. And so there are some that are used multiple times. In fact, the one we're going to look at this morning is used multiple times. It's probably used the second most, second only to love one another. But the reason it's important for us to understand who God is, because it's very difficult to do the one another's. Anybody ever experienced that? How many have been in church, have been living life among believers for 20 years or more? That's most everybody in here. Okay? If you've been doing it that long, you know that it's not easy to do the one another's. It's not easy to love one another, to encourage one another, to give to one another, to serve one another. It's not easy to do these things. And yet the scripture says, this is what we're doing. As a matter of fact, this was God's plan. When Jesus says he's the head of the church, that means we're his body. But he said, here's my plan for my body. Here's what I want it to look like. So over the next several weeks, we're going to begin to look at these one another's. Today, we're going to start with encourage one another. Encourage one another. First John, I want you to see First John 4 with me before we get into all this, because this is an amazing verse. First John 4, 17. By this is love, by this is love perfected with us. It's made mature. It grows up. It becomes more whole and complete. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. This is the context. This is the primary interpretation of this passage of Scripture. I want you to understand all these things John is writing so that you have confidence in the day of judgment. To know, hey, we're in Christ we are born again, part of a new covenant, part of his family. So we have confidence and boldness, love, his love at work in us. That's the primary reason for this verse. But notice what he says, because as he is, so also are we in this world. Now, the primary meaning of that we just said is, hey, the way Jesus was when he walked through this life. And he walked through it perfect in perfect relationship with the father. So are we in this world? Does that mean we're perfect? No, we're not perfect, but we are in him. And so we have positionally been placed in him. We are as righteous as he is righteous as we walk through this. So we don't have to fear the judgment to come because of what Christ has done. If we are in Christ, we don't have to fear it. But there's another side to this coin. When we talk about as he is, so are we in this world. It means what Jesus looked like when he was walking on planet Earth 2,000 years ago, what people saw, what they experienced when they encountered him. They should experience when they encounter you. They should experience when they encounter me. They don't always experience that when they encounter me. Maybe not with you either. But that is what John is saying here. He's saying as he was, so are we in this world. We've been looking at the names of God and who he is, his character, his nature. And he's saying, now I want you to take because I'm in you. Because I'm, do, I'm transforming you. I want you to look like me as you walk through this life. I want people to look at you and say, why do you respond that way? Why do you think that way? Why do you do that? Why do you not do this? And say, you know what? The only reason is because of the God that I know. Jesus, who is my Savior, and who His Spirit living inside of me transforms me and changes me. Otherwise, 
couldn't live like this. I couldn't think like this. I couldn't speak like this. I couldn't do this. It is Christ in me who is my hope of glory. Now we're going to look at what that, how that plays itself out in this series and the one another's. I want to give you several verses this morning. We're just going to go through them quickly because where we're going to land is in Hebrews chapter 10. But I want to go through these others just quickly because encourage one another is, in my opinion, and you can break these up in different ways, but in my opinion, it is the second most used of the one another's, second behind love one another. And I want to show you that at several places here in Scripture. I want you to look with me first in 1 Thessalonians. And it says, therefore, 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And I want to say that, I'm going to be like Paul, this, I'm not Paul, but I want to say some, the same thing Paul says here. I'm not in this series of messages saying you're not doing these things. I'm saying that God's calling us to do it more, to do it more often, and to do it better. I believe that's his call on me and on you. So I'm not saying we're not doing it because sometimes we get offended. It's like, what are you saying? I'm not doing that? No. You said I'm not loving? No. You said I'm not encouraged? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that God wants to challenge us to more, not to stay where we are, but to keep moving with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. Every time I read that, I think of a little song the kids had when they were growing up. Encourage one another and build each other up. Anyway, you guys, nobody knows that song? Anyway. Um, every time I read that, it, it comes back to my mind. Look at the next verse with me, also in 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 5, verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, those who are apathetic and wasting, it's wasting life. Admonish them. Encourage, in other words, matter of fact, if you've never read it, if you have a tendency to think about wasting your life or don't even know you're wasting your life, John Piper wrote a great book called Don't Waste Your Life. I, I challenge you, all of you, to read it. Don't waste your life. Um, encourage the faint-hearted. Those who, they're just, their heart is fainted. They're discouraged. They're depressed. They're overwhelmed. They're, they're, they want to give up. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. Don't forget that last admonition. Be patient with all. Why? Because they're going to have to be patient with you too. It goes, it's a two-way street. Look at the next verse with me. Acts 14, verse 21 and 22. When they had preached the gospel to that city, the city being Lystra, uh, where Paul gets stoned, by the way, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. What were they doing? Strengthening the souls. What does it say there? And next, we're strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulation, we must enter the kingdom of God. They weren't only strengthening and encouraging those who were going through a tough time. They were going through a tough time themselves. You're going to see this in the next several verses that we look at. And I, I, wanted, I want to bring it out specifically because if you're waiting for a better day to be an encourager, that day will never come. If you're waiting for a day when it's not so hard for you, you'll never encourage. If you're waiting for a day when you're not going through your own struggles or when you've got it all together, you will never encourage. You will see that in Scripture. Each time you see Paul had just been stoned. And depending on your belief of what took place there, either was at the point of death or died and came back to life. But he was stoned. That's a bad day. All right. 
Some of you a while ago said you had a rough week. I don't think any of you were stoned to the point of death or to death this week. All right? That's a bad day. He gets up, walks back into town and says, how can I encourage you guys? That's the power of God at work in us. Look at the, and he says, we'll have many tribulations. We, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. I want you to notice too, he didn't sugarcoat it for me. He didn't, oh, it's all going to be great, wonderful. No, I just got stoned. You may get stoned. Many tribulations are coming, but it's worth it. It's worth it. It's okay. Keep going. Look at the next verse with me. Acts 16, verse 40. And so they went out of the prison. This is now in Philippi. They've left Lystra and Iconium. And they are in Philippi. You remember the Philippian jailer, the story of the Philippian jailer. The earthquake happens in the middle of the night. The jailer's going to kill himself. That's all here in chapter 16. Notice what it says. After all that happened, so they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. And again, these guys had just been in prison and beaten, falsely accused, and, and, and this earthquake takes place and all these things transpire. Again, they're having what we would consider a bad day. They go find Lydia and other believers there, and they encourage them, and then on to the next thing. God's got a purpose. He's got a plan. He's still on the move. We're moving with him. All right, look with me at the next verse. 2 Corinthians 1.4 who comforts us, this is the same Greek word as encourage. The Greek word is parakaleo. Uh, if it sounds familiar, it's very similar to the word paraclete. We call the Holy Spirit or the comforter. It literally means we're coming alongside. We're lifting up, putting our arm around, carrying if need be. It's that encouragement to come along with. I'm with you in this. So the same word that's used for Holy Spirit is the same word that we use for comfort and also the word translated encourage or encouragement. So that we may be able, well, paraclete's a little different than paracleo, but anyway, they're similar. All right, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort, the encouragement. You could say encouragement. We're able to encourage anyone with the same encouragement that we receive from the Lord. We're going to give it away to somebody else. We receive this encouragement from the Lord. We give it to somebody else. All right? Look at the next passage with me. Colossians 2, 1 and 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those that lay out of Sia. I, I want you to remember this verse when we get to Hebrews because there's a point I'm going to make when we get there that this verse illustrates. But remember this in Colossians when he says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. I want you to know this is important to me. I am wrestling with this. It's, this is on my mind. I am, uh, this is a priority for me. And for all of you at Laodicea who have not seen me face to face, what is he struggling with? What is it that he wants for those who have not seen him face to face? Look what it says. That their hearts may be encouraged. To put courage in is literally what the English word means. Encourage means to put courage in. Being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Jesus Christ. He says, this is what I want. I want your hearts to be encouraged. I want you to be knit together in love. I want you to reach all the riches of the fullness of the assurance of understanding and the knowledge of who God is. And we find all of that in Jesus Christ. This is a burden of his heart, though. He's not seen these people. He doesn't even know them as far as knowing them face to face. He's never met them face to face. 
but he is burdened and asking God, how can I encourage him? Look at the next passage with me. Now we get to Hebrews. This is where we're going to camp for a while. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews is an interesting book. One of my favorite books in the Bible. I love Hebrews. Hebrews talks a lot about the new covenant and contrasts it with the old covenant and how wonderful it is. I quote often that verse where it says, it's a, it's a better covenant based on better promises. Um, but Hebrews is more than just that. Hebrews is a book written by we don't know who. Some speculate it's Paul. Some say it's other. We don't know. The author of the book is not named in the book. Um, and so we don't know exactly who wrote it. But humanly speaking, we don't know who wrote it. We don't know exactly to whom the writer was writing to. We know some things about the people, but we don't know where they were. For example, when Paul wanted to write to the church at Colossae, he wrote the book of Colossians, or the letter to the Colossians. Or Ephesus, Ephesians. All right, So we know who it was directed to. We don't know that with Hebrews, other than it seems that the writer had the understanding that whoever he was writing to, they were believers in Jesus Christ, but they were also Jewish. And they had a very, very good understanding of the Old Testament, of the Torah, of where the Jews came from, their history, all those stories of the Old Testament, the sacrifices, the religious ceremonies. It's apparent that the writer of Hebrews knew that whoever he was writing to, he had the expectation they knew what all that was about. They had a clear understanding of it because he refers to it often in the book of Hebrews. He contrasts all the way through the book of Hebrews, Jesus with all these things. And he says, Jesus is far superior He's far superior to the Torah. He's far superior to the, the sacrifices. He's far superior to the, the old covenant. He's far superior to all these things. And so as the writer of Hebrews is going through, he's contrasting. Why? Because whoever these people were, they wanted to quit and go back. Whoever they were, they didn't want to keep moving forward. They wanted to go back. It was hard. It didn't seem like it was worth it to keep following Jesus. And so they do what most of us are, what we tend to do when things get tough. I want to stop what I'm doing that seems so hard and go back to what I know that seems more comfortable. Even if it's not better, it's more comfortable. We tend to do that all the time. How many of you have kept a mattress way, way too long simply because you didn't want a new one, right? Is, is, is bad as that one is, as lumpy, I mean the big old Grand Canyon that it has in the middle, we will keep it because better the one I know than the one I don't. Some of you are laughing too hard. I don't want to see your bed. Don't invite me over to sleep on your bed, all right? That's, who, that's, that's what we tend to do. We tend to go back to what is known, even if it's not really that great. As opposed to press on to what is unknown, even if it's way better. That's the book of Hebrews in a nutshell. That's what he's saying. He's encouraging them. The whole book is encouraging them. Don't go back, go forward. Don't quit, keep on going. Don't retreat, draw near. As a matter of fact, we're going to focus on that verse here in a few minutes. Don't retreat. Don't pull back, draw near. So this is the context of the book of Hebrews. This is the people he's writing to. You think this has any application to us today? Oh, I think it does. 
I think if we're honest, there are lots of times where we wonder, is it really worth it to follow Jesus? This is hard. When a pastor gets up and tells me the Bible says this, the Bible says that, and God's calling us to this, it would be easier to go back, kind of like the children of Israel. Let's go back to Egypt. Yeah, we were slaves there, but at least we knew where our next meal was coming from. We knew what the routine was. We knew what we had to do. It was bad. It was awful, but we knew it. We understood it. It was predictable. We had a certain level of control. Even though we weren't in control, we thought we had a certain level of it. So the writer of Hebrews comes here to chapter 10 because he's been going all the way along through here encouraging them. Don't go back. Don't go back. It's worth it. Jesus is superior. He's far above. He's better than the priests. He's better than the covenants. He's better, he's better than the sacrifice. He's better than all that you know. He's better. Then he gets to chapter 10. Therefore, he, really all this has been leading up to, all of this Jesus is better than we get. Therefore, brothers and sisters, it's not discriminatory, since we have confidence, I love this word, confidence, Boldness. Some of your translations say boldness. When I um, when I still had an office here at the church, I don't I don't anymore for different reasons. But when I had an office here at the church, um, people um, they show a level of respect, you know, not just barging into your space. And so there have been a number of times I would be sitting in my office and no one in the reception area outside. And so people are kind of stopping out there and they're not sure, am I in there or what to do? And they're kind of knocking on the wall. Anybody here? You know, that kind of thing. Because they don't want to just barge right on in to my office. There's a certain level of, of, of respect that you have there and a sense of boundary. I'm not just going to go barging right on in. My children never had that boundary. It didn't matter what I was doing or who I was with or whatever when they came. If mom didn't have a hold of them, especially when they were little, they just come and fling the door open and here I am the world can start now why? because they came in with confidence because they had every right to be there that's how they felt that's this word just barge right on in like you have every right to be there because you do it also is a word that talks about boldness and freedom especially in speech verbally I love that because how do we come into the throne room? How do we come into the holy place? How do we do that? Do we do that literally? Do we have a tabernacle set up back? No. We do it with our words, by prayer, by faith. I just come boldly right in. Confidence. I enter the holy place where no one could go before except the high priest once a year. But now I can come by the blood of Jesus. I can come right on in. By the new and living way. See, he's still, he's repeating the same message. Jesus is far superior. This is way better. By the new and living way that it, he opened for us through the curtain. Remember there was a curtain separating the holy place from the holy of holies. And you didn't go through that curtain, but we know that when Jesus died on the cross, that curtain was ripped from top to bottom. So he says, he opened for us through the curtain. That is through his flesh. He died, he was broken, and the curtain was ripped apart a way was made, so now we can come. Since we have, he goes on in the next verse here, since we have a great priest, better than the old priest, over the house of God, let us draw near. Don't miss that phrase. Let us draw near. Don't go to 
some of us are missing out on all that God wants to do because we're going in the wrong direction. He's saying, draw near, and we're saying, no, I want to draw back. Can I tell you something? When you feel like drawing near the least, that's when you should draw near the most. When you feel it the least, when you want to do it the least, when you, when you doubt whether you can do it, that's the time you must tenaciously draw near. I mean, you, you fight for it. Like that last cookie on the plate. You fight for it. Y'all don't do that at your house? All right. You fight for it. Whatever it is you fight for, you fight for it like that. Tenacious. I've had, I know at times, some of you probably get frustrated with me because you'll say, I can't. I can't isn't an option. It's not an option. You can. Why do I know you can? Because the power of God at work in you can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you think or ask. He can. You can. I can. I know I feel like I can. I know it seems like I can't, but I can. Because I'm not doing it anyway. He's doing it through me. I'm simply drawing here. I'm hanging on. I won't let go. I look back over this last 12 years or so of the journey with the Lord, and I look back and realize that Almost everything that I see God has, has accomplished has simply been in those moments where he poured out his grace and gave the ability to hang on to draw near and not go back. I'm not going to let go. No matter what, I'm not going to let go. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean because they have been from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water because they have been. We have been purified. We have been made clean. Righteous. Let us hold fast, he says in the next verse. The confession of our hope. And that's what we have is our confession. We this is what we believe. This is who we are. This is who we're following. We hold fast to our confession without wavering. I'm not double-minded in this. I hold fast to it. I can't explain a lot of things, but this I know. Jesus is mine and I'm his. And I'm holding on. I'm not going back. For he who promised is faithful. Promises of God are sure. You can take it to the bank. He promises it. He will do it. No question about it. But there's a problem with his promises. The problem's not on his side. The problem's on ours. Because between the promise and the fulfillment is a gap. And we don't know how long the gap is. We don't know. And that's why we get discouraged. That's why we get overwhelmed. That's why we think, you know, it'd be better to go back. And to keep moving forward. I know Jesus said, but here's where I am right now, and I don't know when what Jesus said is going to become my reality, and it seems easier to go backward than to draw near. The writer of Hebrews is saying, draw near. Draw near. He's encouraging us. He's stirring us. Draw near. Keep going. Don't go. There's a point I'm coming to. Stay with me. Because we're going to get to the one another in all this. Look at the next verse with me. Verse 24. Did it move? It, sometimes it doesn't want to move. Verse 24. It's it. So, 
here's the here's my favorite verse in this in this passage. I shouldn't say my favorite because they're all really good. But it says that we are to consider. I love this this Greek word consider. It literally means make a plan. Think about it. Meditate on it. Sorry. Remember in Colossians when Paul said, I have this burden on my heart on how I can encourage you. He was considering how to stir, how to motivate, how to encourage. The old King James says to consider how to provoke. That kind of seems bad in a way, but but it's this idea. How do I how do I motivate you? How do I encourage you? How do I stir? Consider how you can stir one another to love and good works. Love is the internal part. Good works is the external part. Consider. Be thinking about. Let me ask you something. When you come to a gathering, whether it's this one on Sunday morning or any gathering where there are believers, before you get here, is there any part of your thought process that is considering, making a plan, asking the Lord, how do you want to use me to encourage someone else today? Lori asked me recently, she goes, what's your thought process before you come to a gathering or whatever? What are you thinking about? And I stopped for a minute, but it didn't take me long. Because I had a ready answer. I have a prayer every time I'm coming to gather with you, whether it's here on Sunday morning or during the week with groups, different groups or individuals. Whatever it might be, I have this one prayer. God, how do you want, what do you want to do today among your people and for your people? And how do you want to use me to do it? It is the only thought. How I feel is irrelevant. What's going on in my life is irrelevant. What I want or don't want is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters, God, how do you want to encourage your people today? And how do you want to use me to be part of that process? This, I believe, is what he's talking about. And here's the challenge with that. When we're going through tough stuff, the only person I generally think about is me. I can't really think about anybody else. Because all I can see is me. And I get that. I'm not being critical. I understand that. I know what it is to sit in the dark and think about yourself. Or sit in the light, for that matter. Me, generally, I do it in the dark. Lori, she'll know. I'm, she comes out, I'm sitting in the dark. She'll go, oh, you're struggling, aren't you? I don't know why I'm that way. I just get in the dark. I feel isolated or whatever. Maybe I'm at, Maybe it's easier for me to have a pity party when I'm in the dark. I don't know. I get it. I'm not being critical. But I, I want to challenge you with this, that part of what God has designed is not only that we would be encouraged by Him, but even when we're walking through it, that we'd be open to Him making us an encourager to someone else. Because part of the way He encourages us is that He uses us to encourage someone else. It's an amazing thing, and it doesn't make any sense, humanly speaking, but I have seen it over and over and over again. How many of you would agree that you have seen God encourage you more because you were thinking about encouraging someone else? It doesn't make any sense, but it's how God works. 
It's one of the best ways to kind of move out of that difficult place because if I stay there just thinking about me, if all I see is me, I'm pitiful. I don't want to just see me. If I sit there and think about how bad my life is, I'll come up with new reasons. I never thought of why my life is so bad. That's an even better reason than the one I had before. I call that a mental graveyard. And I've been there, folks. I'm not being critical. I have been there. But by the power of God, I will never live there again. I don't have to. And neither do you. We may choose to, but we don't have to live there. Now you say, Troy, what about, aren't there sometimes maybe medical or chemical things and, and other things? that I am not qualified to speak to those things. Okay, And so I'm not addressing any of that. I'm addressing simply the day-to-day -day normal stuff that every one of us faces when we are discouraged, when we're overwhelmed, when we want to quit, when we want to give up. And the Scripture says, if you will consider, if you'll meditate on it, make a plan, but how do you want to use me to encourage someone else? Day. It'll be amazing what happens in your own situation because your perspective will change. And often when our perspective changes, everything else changes. So look at the next verse with me. Verse 25. He says, let us consider how to stir one another up. And the next verse says, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some. Some have quit. Some get in this place, and the last thing I want is to see other people. It is not bad or wrong or sinful to be an introvert. And by that, do you know what an introvert is? An introvert, technically speaking, is someone who is refreshed, who is revitalized by being alone or being away from people. Quite honestly, I can be that way. I probably am more that way than I am extroverted. I find great refreshment and joy at times in being alone. There's nothing wrong with being understanding that and being refreshed at times by being away from people. But here's the problem. When I simply take that label and put it on my life and say, now the only way I can have any peace, the only way I can have any joy, the only way my life can have any meaning or purpose is if I'm away from people, now I have a problem. Because the scripture calls me out and says, not neglecting meeting together. You can't meet together by yourself. It doesn't work. As is the habit of some, some do this. But encouraging one another. Come together, we encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. What day? The day of the Lord's return. We've been seeing face to face. Do we think we're closer to that day than we have been? I do. So he says, even more so now. It's more important now than it has ever been that you do this. We don't come to church to hear messages. We don't come to church to sing songs or hear other people sing really nice, pretty music. 
Those are parts of what go on, and they're important. They have significance. But what the writer of Hebrews is saying here through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's saying you are part of a local body because you need to gather together for encouragement's sake. Encourage them. Be, you should be an encourager or an encouragee, and a lot of times you're both. But every time you gather, you ought to be one or the other, and quite often you're both. You're being encouraged as you encourage. Now, biblical encouragement is different than saying your hair looks nice. All right? You can say that. There's nothing wrong with it. Somebody got a haircut. Nobody ever mentions my haircut, but when women do it, it seems to be a big deal. And I don't know why that is, but nobody ever mentions my haircuts. But anyway, um, the reality is you can say that. You know, you look nice in that. That looks good on you. That's a good cut. That's all fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not biblical encouragement. Biblical encouragement points to the grace of God, the power of God, the life of Jesus Christ being expressed in another person's life at that moment. That's biblical encouragement. You do it through the word, through his written word, through his spoken word, by his spirit. You do it by faith. You come alongside. And, and can I tell you one of the things that in my own life that has, has ministered so much is sometimes it's not even something very specific or what we would consider huge. It's simply somebody coming along and saying, you know what? I believe in you. I believe in the work of God in you. You're okay. You're okay. Because quite honestly, the enemy causes us to believe we're not okay. He lies to us. And we think we are far from okay. Sometimes it's as simple as that. There are a number of folks in in my circle that a lot of times I just walk by and in the prompting of the Holy Spirit just say, you know what, I'm going to tell you again, you're okay. And we have a relationship and they only know what that means. What am I saying in that? I'm saying that God's at work in you and I can see it and you're okay. Because a lot of times we don't see it ourselves. We don't see it. So what do we do? We come along. We help one another see it. I would encourage you to do several things with this. Number one, I would encourage you to pray daily, God, make me an encourager. Make me like Barnabas. I, wouldn't you love to get the nickname Son of Encouragement? Man, I've got nicknames, but none of them are cool like that. I want to be the Son of Encouragement. He was known for that. And what do we see about Barnabas? We don't know a lot about him, but what do we see about him? When everybody else wrote Paul off, Saul, who became Paul, because they knew what he had been. They knew what he had done. Everybody else wrote him off. Barnabas went and got him. He said, God's got a plan for you. He's not done with you. That's, that's biblical encouragement. I'm not agreeing with all that you've done. I'm not even saying it's right. I'm simply saying God's not done. He's not giving up with you. He's got more that he wants to do. I don't need a cheerleader to stand over there and tell me how I just messed up. All right. I don't need someone to stand on the sideline and say, you no good, sorry. You know, I don't need that. I already know all of that. Neither do I need, I don't need them to agree or to, to lie to me and say, oh, that was wonderful when I know and they know and everybody else knows it was awful. I don't need them to lie to me. I need them to say, in spite of all that, I still believe in you. I believe, I believe in the God who's at work in you in spite of all of that. That's biblical encouragement. 
I'm going to ask Lori and, and whoever else is coming just to come up now. We'll close here in a minute. But as they come, one of the great examples of encouragement. And again, this isn't necessarily biblical encouragement in that sense, but it's a picture of what we're talking about here where, you, where you're able to say, you know, in spite of all the other stuff that's going on, I believe. I believe that God is at work in you. I believe that. I see that. You're not there yet, but neither am I. But we're moving in that direction. Keep on going. Don't quit. Don't go back. When Lori and I got married, we got married in February of 1996. And we had been married four months when the Olympics happened in Atlanta. Now, when I got married, and even prior to getting married, I began to do some strange things. Uh, I got involved in activities I had never before been involved in because we do strange things when we're in love. I had never seen a musical until I met Lori. Never. Never seen one. I had not seen The Sound of Music, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. None of them. I had not seen any of them. Meet Me in St. I had not seen any of them. Had no intention of seeing any of them until <laughs> I met Lori. I have seen them all now multiple times. I don't know if it deserves a hallelujah or not, but anyway. <clears throat> uh, when, when the Summer Olympics came along in Atlanta, there were parts of that I would have watched in my single state, but one part would not have been women's gymnastics. I would not have watched women's gymnastics. But I'm married now. And Lori's like, let's watch this. I was like, what? Anyway, I couldn't tell you what an uneven bar was. or a bar. I mean, no, didn't care. But that summer, I sat there along with many millions of others and Lori watching women's gymnastics. I remember that, that day, watching it very clearly, when the women's team had the opportunity for the first time ever to take team gold, to beat out the Russians and the Romanians who were the perennial powerhouses. And they were going into this final event, the final, the, the Americans on the, on the vault, the Russians on the floor exercise. See, I know the difference now. I didn't know that then. And I remember this little girl from Tucson, I think is where she was from. Carrie Strug, you remember that name? I remember her taking, she's the last American, and she takes her first vault and she lands funny and she comes up. Actually, she sits down, which is a no-no. And then she gets up holding her ankle. They found out later she had a third-degree sprain on that ankle. It literally had popped out and popped back into place. So they didn't know. The Americans didn't know if they had enough points to win gold. I mean, there was less than a point separating them and the Russians. And so Carrie walks back because she gets the second attempt. So she walks back to the starting place. And someone asked her later, how on a sprained ankle did you run down that runway and hit that springboard and flip over that whatever that thing is? And, you know, I was going to call it a pommel horse, but that's men's. I don't know what that thing is, but anyway, whatever that thing is, that beam thing. And then land perfectly on two feet, which she did. Got a 9.6 something, and the ladies for the first time ever took team gold. 
in gymnastics. She was asked, how did you do that? And she said, all I remember was I kept looking over at my coach, Bella Caroli. And those who were in the Georgia Dome, that they could hear him in that strong Romanian accent, just looking at her saying, you can do it. You can do it. Doesn't matter what just happened. Doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter about any of that. You can do it. I believe. I believe in you. You can do it. If the world can do that, and I don't know whether they know Jesus or don't know Jesus, but that's not what they profess. That's not the focus of their life. Their focus is gymnastics. If they can take something like gymnastics, which is not eternal, and have that kind of commitment and that kind of character and that kind of encouragement for one another, how much more the body of Christ? How much more you and me? We would encourage to be able to look at someone and say, you know what? I know it's hard. I know it's tough. I know you want to quit. But I believe in you. And more importantly, I believe in the God at work in you. There have been a number of times in ministry where I have looked at people and said, I know you don't have faith right now, but I have faith for you. I believe for you. I believe God. Now I realize they are going to have to come to a point, but right now just know this, I am for you. I believe God is at work in you. Walk in that and trust God to give you faith of your own. Trust Him to speak. The world has yet to see what would happen when believers live this way. We've only caught glimpses of it up to this point. Wouldn't you like to be that place? Wouldn't you like to be those people? Sons and daughters of encouragement to be a nickname. Would you bow your heads with me? Would you tell him right now? Lord, I want to be an encourager. Make me an encourager. Anybody can be critical. Anybody can find fault. That doesn't take any skill or talent. That doesn't take any power of the Holy Spirit. It does take tremendous work and power of the Holy Spirit to be an encourager. Lord, make me an encourager. Lord, give me the two boundaries for it, truth and love. I don't make things up to be encouraging, speak truth. Jesus is truth. But it's always bathed in love. Not personal agenda, but my care for you. My care for someone else. Lord, would you do this in me? I'm asking you today. I don't know what anyone else will do in this room, but Lord, for me, I want to be that man. I want that more than I've ever known before. I believe you called us to that. You called me to that. That we would live and move and treat one another this way. Lord, help us and remind us when we're not by your spirit, show us when we're not. 
Lord, we thank you. And we give you praise and honor and glory. Because, Lord, this was your idea, and it's a great one. This is your plan. We're your church. Not just LifePoint, but the church, your church, wherever it is found. We are your body. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are not even part of this body, but they're part of your body. Would you do a work in your body in these days as we see the day drawing near? Would you cause us to be biblical encouragers? That there would be Barnabases all over the place. Men and women. Sons and daughters of encouragement. Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. And we pray this in Jesus' name.